in the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. I will read the entire chapter. And as I indicate on the bulletin, the text is also then the entire chapter. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from, from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show the in, uh, that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, "There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand." For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's uh, captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. 
Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and acknowledge and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to me the king's matter. Thereupon Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have, dream, have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers, can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may, uh, may be known uh, to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold... A great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of its image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay. 
and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that was struck, that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we tell, we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the, uh, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these." And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering or an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honor and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel 
remained at the king's court. So far, the reading of God's holy word. We, we now join and sing together from Psalm 22, the stanzas 9 and 10. I'll sing my praises where God's people meet and keep the vows that I will there repeat. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think? Is it legitimate to say it was a tiny chip off of that stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand that broke in pieces the twin towers of the World Trade Center some years ago now? Or it was a tiny chip from that stone that brought down the space shuttle Columbia. Or it was a chip from that stone that powers the tsunamis that break, that wreak havoc and destruction in Asia. Now and again. As a matter of fact, if you heard the news this morning, there's a tsunami that struck Christchurch, New Zealand. How do we read history? And how do we understand the events that stir and disturb the world wherein we live? You may at one time or another have seen the rows upon rows of crosses that mark the graves of the soldiers, Canadians and Americans, who lost their lives on the battlefields of Europe. They had fought an evil empire as they sought to stop it from gaining control over the hearts and lives of countless millions of people. Then you wonder, right? Ah, yes, you wonder. Was their goal achieved? Oh, yes, Hitler's evil empire was stopped in its track then. The Third Reich could not hold sway then. It went down to disgraceful defeat then. But peace, peace on earth, peace as defined and desired by mankind, you understand, was such peace on earth achieved then. Oh, you know it. The killing fields have only been multiplied. And the suffering continues unabated to this very day. Moreover, there is the ever-present terror of the terrorists. And there are again evil empires controlled by maniacs which disturb the peace as never before. And the question, what must be done, plagues the leaders of many a nation today. Ah, yes, they pondered the question as we wonder, what, what can be done? Think of the rise of ISIS in the Middle East and its ever-growing threat to us here in North America. For some, the question is, who is willing to do? Who is willing to rise to the occasion? while others protest that there is no occasion to rise to. And 
Who acknowledges that in and through it all, it is the Lord God, the Almighty, who is sovereignly moving on, establishing His kingdom. Yes, you can sense it. There is great fear. People are afraid. They are troubled. They are terrified. They sense it. Peace, genuine peace on earth, it simply is not. Why is that? What explains that? We read the word of the Lord this morning from the prophecy of Daniel. In the second chapter of this prophecy, we are introduced to a mighty king who is in great distress. He's worried sick. He can't sleep anymore. In the wee early hours of the morning, he commands that the magicians and the enchanters, the sorcerers and astrologers come before him immediately. Oh yes, they are to come at once, for the matter is very urgent. But why? What has happened? Why is the mighty king of Babylon, today's Iraq, so mightily upset? Had an enemy invaded his domain? But surely... His military might could prevail against any and all enemies. Or were his subjects staging an uprising? But surely his police were capable of securing the state. Now it is neither the one nor the other. Rather, his majesty the king had dreamed a dream. And... That dream, of oh, that dream had robbed him of his peace. This man who had subdued hundreds of thousands of people, this man who was the sole ruler of the mighty Babylonian empire, this man who feared not man nor any army of men, this man was deathly Afraid. But why? Oh yes, he had dreamed a dream. But why should that disturb him so mightily? What was there about that dream that it could be so very upsetting? I invite you to listen with me to the word of the Lord that tells us how the Lord God uses a king Nebuchadnezzar, to make known his sovereign will. Our text tells us of kingdoms and the kingdom. There are three thoughts as follows. The wisdom of the world exposed. The wisdom of the Lord revealed. And the kingdom of the Lord ever victorious. I said a moment ago that Nebuchadnezzar was very much upset, apparently because of a dream. And so he was. 
But that's not the whole story. Oh yes, the first couple of verses of chapter 2 do say that Nebuchadnezzar's uh, spirit was troubled and that his sleep had left him because of the dream he had dreamed. But up at verse 29 lays bare the root of the matter. Listen carefully to what Daniel tells the king. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be hereafter, after this. You hear it. Nebuchadnezzar had been thinking as he lay on his bed. That may have happened to you on occasion. He had been thinking about the future. And it worried him. He was scared stiff. What would the future bring? What would would become of his kingdom, the mighty Babylonian empire? Ah, you see, we may confess as we sing it, I know not what the future holds, but, but I know who holds the future. And see, that gives us peace, a sense of well-being. But Nebuchadnezzar, as indeed all this worldly-minded rulers, Nebuchadnezzar had no such confession, and therefore he had no such peace. As he lay upon his bed with anxious, fearful thoughts racing through his mind, the king had finally, exhaustedly fallen asleep. But even then, he found no rest for his weary soul. As he slept, he dreamed, and his dream, see, it was a revelation from the Lord. The Lord God was giving the king of Babylon a glimpse of the transiency of his power and glory. I ah, see, the kingdom of Babylon would soon fade and die like a flower of the field. Nothing would remain of it. Nebuchadnezzar, on his bed in the night, had somehow sensed something of that. And then, then he could not sleep anymore. His worries, his fears, his anxieties would not allow him to sleep anymore. But what to do? To whom could he turn now that the Lord God, the Almighty, was already busy removing the very foundations of the kingdom of Babylon? As you think about that, then think not only of Nebuchadnezzar, but think also of the Napoleons and the Hitlers and the Wheeler dealers at the United Nations today. For they did and they do what Nebuchadnezzar long before them had done. Ah, you see, Nebuchadnezzar 
did not turn to the Lord. Rather, he turned to man. Human wisdom must keep the sinking ship of state afloat. Human wisdom is pitted against divine providence. When dangers threaten, it is the men of much learning and skill, the great manipulators who are called together now as then. And they are the ones who are thanked and praised or blamed and castigated with nary a thought of the Lord and his providential care for his people. Just think of NBC, ABC, CBS, what's going on right there, right now, today. And a leader who does speak of the Lord and his providence is vilified by the media, which presents itself Ah, yes, which presents itself as the magicians and enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans of our day. Just so it happened in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. The magicians and the enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, were summoned to the palace. But notice, no Daniel or his three friends. What after all, what would they know of the affairs of state? Those worshippers of the God of Israel. Those fanatics who would not defile themselves with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. What could a word from the Lord The opening of his word for life, what could that possibly contribute to an alleviation of the king's anxieties? No, Daniel, the church, the word of the Lord, it was not and it is not wanted. Not then, not now. Abad. All the wise men called before the king were helpless, and they knew it. Hear them plead with the king that he tell them his dream, that they may then give him its interpretation. But the king refuses. Tell me the dream, he says to them, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Why, after all, why would the gods provide the interpretation but not the dream itself? Sounds logical enough, doesn't it? But by that logic, with that logic, the king exposed the utter bankruptcy of his own counselors. They were forced to confess, no one, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Right there you see how fragile, how utterly without any certainty the wisdom of man is. A dream 
Nothing more than a dream was needed to shake the foundations of the kingdom of Babylon to their very core. While the palace was in an uproar, the king in his anger and utter frustration had given command that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. After all, what was the good of them? They surely were not trustworthy. Perhaps they were traitors, right? But consider it well. So it is that the Lord God, through Nebuchadnezzar, exposes the utter foolishness of leaning upon the wisdom of man. Daniel and his three friends, though not invited to the palace, were nevertheless included in the king's edict. Ariach, the captain of the king's guard, came to the house of Daniel also to arrest him and to kill him and his three friends. But Daniel, it says, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. He went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. With that, I come to the second phase of the story and to the second point of the sermon, the wisdom of the Lord revealed. See, the Lord had shown to Nebuchadnezzar both that the wise of this world are foolish and that the wisdom of this world is vanity. Nothing more and nothing other than a striving after wind. He will now also make known to Nebuchadnezzar that it is the wisdom of the Lord revealed through his servant Daniel. Yes, it is the wisdom of the Lord that directs the affairs of man. Daniel has an audience with the king. He tells the king pointedly, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But, but there is a God in heaven, says Daniel. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he, he it is who has made known to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Daniel then reminds the king of the thought that had come into his mind as he lay on his bed. How he had worried about the future, how frantic, how very desperate he had become. Then Daniel underscores once more that it is the Lord God, the God who reveals secrets, who had spoken to the king. And he explains to the king how it is possible that he, Daniel, knows the dream and its interpretation. When you read this passage carefully, you can't help but notice that three times 
the soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory resounds through the palace of the king. Everything, O king, also your splendor and your majesty, it must and it will and it shall serve the purposes, I ask, the glory of the Lord God, the Almighty. Oh, yes, people forget it all the time. Then they heap praise or blame on man. And they fail to see or they refuse to see that people also, yes, especially people of name, People are but instruments, tools of the Lord through whom he accomplishes his sovereign will. What is it the Lord had revealed? Well, Daniel tells the king that he, in his dream, had seen an image its head of gold, its breast and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Daniel says, moreover, that the king Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. And he goes on then to say that after him other kingdoms will rise, each one inferior to the one preceding it. However, nothing further is said here about the identity of those kingdoms to come. But about Daniel does say something about the image as a whole, and by so doing, he tells us something about what will characterize each of the kingdoms that shall arise. You see, aside from the fact that the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream was great and mighty, two things are mentioned that characterize the image as a whole. Its brightness was exceedingly great and its appearance was terrifyingly frightening. You understand? Those are the Two things that characterize the kingdoms of this world. Yes, those are the two things that characterize the might and the power of this earth. Those are the two things that characterize all developments that are of this earth. Developments not born of faith. There is something about them that is dazzling. You stand in awe of it. And there is something about them that is frightening. You tremble at the very thought of it. That, you see, was true of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom also. The glory of his kingdom was magnificent, while its terror was frightening. And so it has been repeated over and again throughout the history of the world to this very day. 
mighty empires have come and gone. Fantastic achievements have been accomplished in the areas of science and technology. Again and again, people have stood utterly amazed. Think, for example, of nuclear power. While at the same time, they trembled in fear. Think only of the weapons of mass destruction that have been devised. But always, always man's achievements were and they are accompanied by dark and foreboding forces, powers no one knew or knows how to control or direct. See, they're the reason for the unease people experience today also, even as they celebrate man's accomplishments. They see the brightness of all that has been achieved, and they glory in it. They rejoice because of it. But at the same time, they sense that there are powers at work, awesome powers, frighteningly destructive powers, powers which no one is able to harness, let alone understand. The killing fields, you see, they are there in many forms all over the world today. No society, however great and glorious it may be, no society has been able to escape them. After all, there was not only a Dachau, there is also a New York City and a Bali. There is Afghanistan and Pakistan. There is Baghdad and North Korea and the Middle East, threatened by the Islamic State adherents. See, the kingdoms of this world, the cultural achievements that are not born of faith, no matter how great their splendor, they are ultimately of a dreadful appearance. Nebuchadnezzar saw it. He saw the exceeding brightness and the terrifying dreadfulness of the image of his dream. And his spirit was troubled. Ah, yes, he trembled. And so I come to the last thought, the victory of the kingdom of the Lord. You see, Nebuchadnezzar saw more than only that image of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And it is very well possible that what he saw more than that caused his spirit to be frightened even more than the sight of that image itself. As you looked, says Daniel to the king, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. I asked, Nebuchadnezzar had seen that that stone, cut by no human hand, struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. As a matter of fact, he had seen that the iron 
the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. Is it any wonder that a man, be he a mighty king, is it any wonder that a man, seeing such a thing, would be utterly terrified? Think of it. That whole image from the head of gold to the feet of iron and clay, the whole thing was reduced to chaff. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But, but the stone, that little stone, that had been cut in such an inconspicuous way that no, no one had seen so much as a hand cutting it. That stone that had struck the image, it became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Is it any wonder that Nebuchadnezzar, seeing that, trembled at its sight? That stone, oh, you know it. That stone, it is the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It is the kingdom which the Lord God Almighty is establishing on this earth. It is the kingdom that shall never be destroyed. The kingdom that shall break in pieces and blow away all the kingdoms of this earth. The kingdom that shall stand forever. At this point, it is important to underscore that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of our Lord, though indeed a spiritual reality, is very much a kingdom like the kingdoms of this world. What I mean is this. Suppose, suppose you could have asked a citizen of Babylon, what, pray tell, is the kingdom of Babylon? See, then such a person would not only have spoken of a geographically defined area on a map, but he would also have spoken of Babylon's military might, about its government and schools, about its buildings and architecture, about its social life and about its way of life. See, anyone thinking about the kingdom of Babylon thought of all that Babylon was, all that Babylon stood for, its total way of life. Well, now, just so it is with, it, with the kingdom which the Lord God Almighty is establishing on this earth. It, too, encompasses all of life. It, too, is characterized by a recognizable way of life, which expresses itself in all areas of life for all of life. See, the kingdom of the Lord, it is in this world. It is a kingdom with its own unique understanding of an approach to politics, and labor, to education and industry, to law 
and order and worship. An approach that is, that must be, in complete harmony with the very nature of that kingdom. See, Babylon's institutions and organizations were thoroughly secular. For that was the nature, that was the heart and core, I guess, that was the heartbeat of the kingdom of Babylon. All who belonged to that kingdom were brought up in and were caught up by that total way of life, precisely as that is true of every secular society today. A half-hearted commitment could not and it will not be tolerated because that would mean the eventual breakdown of that secular, anti-God, anti-Christian kingdom. The media, remember it well, the media understands that, knows that. And it is motive, and that's what motivates it to do its work with cunning and with deception. And now think of the kingdom of the Lord. Oh, it is not of this world. That is, it does not draw its power and its vision, its definition of goals and its purposes from this world. But it is a kingdom in this world. And it is being established. And it cannot and it will not tolerate half-hearted commitment. And, ah yes, and it shall destroy and consume the kingdoms of this earth. The question is, have you seen that kingdom? Have you sensed and seen its all-consuming power? Ah, you see, the stone that was cut out by no human hand is growing and gaining in momentum. Ever since the day John the Baptizer shouted in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, Christ our King, whose birth we will joyfully celebrate next month. He is going forth, conquering and to conquer. Have you seen it? Ah, we are so often blinded. Blinded by the dazzling brightness of the kingdoms of this world. But then, yes, then we get caught up also in and by the paralyzing awesomeness of their frightening appearance. And then we tremble, as did Nebuchadnezzar, because then we know, as he did, that no matter how great the glory of this present time may be, it cannot and it will not remain. And then people of the church try to circumvent their calling 
to be faithful citizens of the Lord's kingdom by devising a two-kingdom scheme, a scheme which seeks effectively to neuter Christ's kingship over all of life today. And they fail to understand that those who have their hope set on Christ's kingdom, they who have not set their hope on Christ's kingdom, shall be put to shame. Their hope, the hope of those who have put their trust in the Lord, their hope will surely come to fruition. They know it for sure. Their Savior and Lord who reigns over all today, shall reign forever and ever. His kingdom shall have no end. Praise the Lord. Amen.